You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Stonegate, how are we doing this morning? Good. Talk to me a little bit. How are we doing? All right, good deal. Uh, Man, that video is so precious, isn't it? It's amazing for me to watch uh, in seasons like this in the life of our church, uh, our kids and our students begin to learn how to flex that muscle of generosity and grow in that willingness to be open-handed with the Lord, open-hearted with the Lord. God, whatever you want, I am a yes to you. And that is what this season in the life of our church is about, uh, God doing that in us. Uh, That's what Follow Me is about. This is the single biggest season in the life of our church that we've ever had. And it's all about us learning that, how to follow Jesus with a big open heart. And friends, if you will do that, if I'll do that, if we'll, if we'll open ourselves up to the Lord like that, our church and then you personally, me personally, will be changed in some really, really beautiful ways. A couple of things just as we start uh, out, uh, things we've been saying for the last couple of weeks, I just want to make sure uh, you're aware again of them. One, I want to make sure you've got the Follow Me book in your hand. If you don't have one, uh, we've got some guys that will get you one. So you just raise your hand right now. Uh, Hi, uh, right there. They will bring them around to you. Uh, We've got a couple on each side to do that. So just raise your hand and they will get one to you. It has everything you need uh, to kind of track along with us during Follow Me. All the information's in there. All the good stuff is in there. Uh, Today, the sermon notes are going to be on page 30. So if you've got your follow me book, you might turn to page 38. That's where you can kind of keep track of uh, your notes for this morning. And uh, just like we've done over the last several weeks, I've got the two main asks of you. Uh, first one is that you will make sure you're in community uh, during this season. And uh, so if you're in a community group already, great. Make sure you're faithful in that community group. If you're not, we have follow me groups uh, just to make all this really, really easy for you. They meet up here Sunday night. Tuesday night, Wednesday night, it's not too late to jump in. We try to take away every sort of obstacle to you getting in a group in this season, and we would love to see you in there. You could just pull out your phone, hit that QR code right there to register. You can show up tonight, and they would love to have you tonight. What, what's happened in those groups has been amazing. That's so good. So I so want to encourage you to make sure you're in community. Uh, And then uh, lastly is to make sure you're here every week of Follow Me. We have one more week left, and just whatever you have to do next week to be here, just make sure you do that. It is, in a lot of ways, the climactic week of this set of sermons. So make sure you're in with us, that you're here next Sunday. It's going to be one of those Sundays in the life of our church uh, that in 10, 15 years from now, we'll have a you remember when moment uh, for next Sunday. So make sure you're here uh, next week. And if you've got one of your Follow Me uh, books there, uh, when you got that book, you should have gotten a Uh, commitment card. Uh, It looks like this that was uh, attached to that book. If you don't have that uh, with you this morning, uh, you can flip to page 20 in your book and you can kind of see an example of it in your uh, Follow Me book there. And I just want to say a couple things about this. Uh, We're getting this to you early because part of what we're doing is asking everyone around Stonegate to open up their life uh, to the Lord, to open up their heart to the Lord, to come with Him with a very open posture, open hands, and to ask Him, what is that one number that represents sacrificial, big-hearted generosity over the next two years. And then next Sunday, February 25th, that's the Sunday where we're going to commit that one number over the next two years to Jesus. That's what's happening next Sunday. And uh, there's a, a couple of things about this card that I just want to point out to you. First is uh, it's one number. Uh, you're looking for one number over the next two years. That's what you're asking the Lord to show you. Uh, and it's one number because we do a one fund approach, right? Our collective commitments next week are going to help us do everything we need to do over the next two years. It's going to help us make deep disciples. That's all of 
of our ongoing ministry and work that we're doing around here. And then it's going to help us make more and young disciples by expanding our building so that we can reach more people, uh, more adults, more kids, more students, more of those guys to hear the good news of Jesus. It's going to allow us to do all of those things. And on the commitment card, there's just a couple of tools that I want to point out to you. One is on the screen, it's that gift chart. And this is just a way for us to get to $15 million as a church family. And I love this chart for two reasons. And I said this last week, and let me just say it again to you real quick. I love this chart first because it reframes generosity in our life. What most often happens when people see that gift chart is they look at the top numbers and they're like, are you serious? People give like that to, to Jesus. And I'm like, they do. It's amazing that God would work in people's hearts to do that sort of thing, but people do give that way. And that has a way of reframing how the Lord might be wanting to grow you in generosity. Uh, that, that you would uh, take new steps that you didn't think possible, that, that, that uh, when you thought about generosity, it just didn't even seem like a realistic option for you. So, so I love that it does that. And secondly, it's just a good tool to be praying over as you're listening to the Lord for that one number that represents sacrificial, big-hearted generosity. That tool, uh, that chart is a really helpful tool for that. And then secondly, on the inside of the, uh, the card, it's just a, something for you to be able to prayerfully kind of work through to get to that one number that the Lord might be asking of you over the next couple of years. You can start at the top if you need to and just kind of work your way down to that green uh, line there. And that would be your one number that represents that big hearted generosity for the next two years. And, uh, you know, we've said this the last couple of weeks. We just want to get these things to you early so you can fast. You can seek clarity from the Lord. You can pray. Uh, you can have all the moments you need to open yourself up to the Lord, to be able to listen well to Him. And then whatever He says, our encouragement to you is to follow. And our goal, we've said this every week, our goal is 100% participation, that everyone at Stonegate would do that hard work of listening to the Lord and whatever Jesus says, be willing to follow Him. Right? That, that's the goal. Our goal is not a number, a final number raised. Our goal is that we would all learn how to. We would learn how to do this. We would learn how to follow Jesus. Right? That takes us to our key text. This is kind of the heartbeat of follow me. The next two years is John 10, 27. My sheep, Jesus says, hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. That's, that's the point of follow me. My sheep, Jesus says, hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. We want to lean into this verse. We want to live into this verse. That verse gives us those every morning reminders. Church, we have a good shepherd. Amen? Amen. We have a good shepherd. And here's what we get to do as a sheep. We get to listen to the voice of the good shepherd and whatever he says, we get to say yes. We get to follow him. That's what this two years is about. Listening and following the voice of the Good Shepherd is normative Christianity. And as we're going to see today, Jesus calls all of his people to follow him into generosity. This is part of the call of God on every Christian's life. It's a call into generosity, following Jesus here. It's one of the hardest places in a lot of our lives. As soon as I bring up the topic, I know some of us, our defenses just have a way of flaring up on us. And I'm just asking you today to push those defenses down and to listen to the voice of your good shepherd. Listen to what he has to say to you in his word today. So we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. If you want to flip there, that would be helpful to have your Bible out and open on your lap there. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, are, uh, it's the longest uh, sustained teaching on generosity in the New Testament, really in the Bible. It's two chapters of Paul urging, or God through Paul urging the Corinthian church toward generosity. 
sacrificial generosity, like a giving that like cuts down into our life to the places it really hurts. That's what these two chapters are about. God through Paul taking his people there. That's these two chapters. Now today, we're going to get just a snippet of these two chapters. Uh, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6, really through 8 or 9. Uh, right there is where we're going to be ha- hanging today. And in that uh, couple of verses, I just want you to see five things God has to say to us about generosity. Five things uh, that Paul, uh, God through Paul wants us to see about generosity. Here's the first thing, is that Christians give. It's the first thing that, that Paul wants us to see is Christians give. Look at verse 7. First four words, each one must give. Each one must give. Uh, there's the first thing. Christians give. Generosity is a reflex in a redeemed heart. It's just what happens in a redeemed heart. It's the reflexive sort of posture and and action of a redeemed heart. I love how Randy Alcorn says it, where the lightning of grace strikes. So when the, the Lord shows up in a person's heart, the lightning of grace strikes in a human heart, the thunder of generosity is sure to follow. Just like lightning and thunder are tethered together, so is a heart that's encountered the grace of God and generosity tethered together in a human heart. Christians are generous. When you have felt the generosity of God deep down in your bones, it unlocks generosity in your lives. This is Paul's point. Christians are generous. People who claim to know Jesus may not be generous, but people who know Jesus who have experienced the grace of God, are generous. Now, now we're generous not because we are saved through our generosity. We are generous because God's big, generous heart, the heart of God that has sent his son into the world to live for us, to die for us, to walk out of the grave on the third day, that big, generous heart of God is now beating in us. That, that's why we're generous. So so now Christians are generous with their time. We aren't greedy with our time, but we're open-handed with our time, giving it to Jesus and to others. We're generous with our talents, with our spiritual gifts, with our skills, our capacities, knowing that God has given these things to us so that we could pour them out to Jesus and his purposes in the world and to bless people in our life. We're generous with our time, our talents, and our treasure, money and possessions in our life. God has been generous to you so that you would be a conduit of those things. Not a cul-de-sac, but a conduit of those things. That God's generosity in your life would not stop with you, but it would flow through you to Jesus' purposes in the world and to people around you. That, That is why God has been generous to you. It is for that end so that you would be a conduit of his grace. So let's just ask the question. Are we generous? Just ask yourself that. Am I a generous person? Is this something that people think of when they think of me? Am I a generous person? Uh, Christians give. Here's the second thing we see. It's not just the Christians give, it's the Christians give in a particular way, sacrificially. Christians give sacrificially. Now here is a money myth that is rampant within the church. Okay, here's the money myth. Uh, Let me pose it as a question. If I were to ask you, of the money that you have, what part of that, what percentage of that is God concerned about? Many people would answer that by saying, you know, I think God is concerned about, interested in, kind of has a say on about 10%. I I think that's kind of the the line of, of what God cares about. 
so 10% is sort of like the stuff God cares about. And 90% is just like, yeah, whatever we want to do, whenever we want to do it, yes. That's how many people think. But that is a myth. And here's why that's a myth. Because according to the Bible, God owns everything. Amen? God owns everything. And he has entrusted things to you so that everything in your life, you cannot look at that and say, I am the owner of it. Your house, your car, your bank account, your stuff, none of that is yours. That is all God's stuff that is on loan to you. That makes you a steward. And one day as a steward before God, you're going to have to give an account for all that he's entrusted to you. Because that's how the Bible sees the life of a Christian. God owns it all. You're a steward of everything, and one day you will give an account for for what God has entrusted to you. See Matthew chapter 25, uh, the parable of the talents, right? You you are a steward of everything, an owner of nothing. But most people think God's only concerned about 10% because of that tithe in the scripture, that word tithe. So I want to do a little bit of work on that word, just to give us a a good sort of understanding of how that word is showing up in the Bible, a tithe or giving 10%. So let's start in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there were three primary types of giving. Here were the three. Every year, uh, the people of God would give 10% to support the temple and the Old Testament priests. Okay, that, that's kind of what you'd maybe think of as the tithe, right? To, to the temple and the Old Testament priests. Then they would also give 10% every year for festivals. So this is the people of God doing their thing, being formed by these festivals and rituals that they would do. And then every third year, they would give 10% to help the poor. So if you want to do that on an annualized basis, they would be giving 23.3% a year. That would have been kind of the normal Old Testament uh, rhythm and habit. Now, on top of that, they would also have moments where they would give free will offerings. So here's a project for the people of God. Here's a thing for the people of God. Very similar to what we're doing right now with Follow Me. Here's here's a big moment that we have to step into as the people of God. So that would happen on top of that. Those free will offerings uh, would come uh, on top. Now, carry that into the New Testament. Here's what we find in the New Testament. Jesus commends a tithe in Matthew chapter 23, but you will not find a tithe commanded in the New Testament. So it's commended in the New Testament, not commanded. Instead of talking in terms of percentages in the New Testament, the New Testament talks in terms of sacrifice. That's how the New Testament talks about our giving. We could say it this way. In the New Testament, sacrifice is the new standard of giving. It's not a tithe. It's not these couple of offerings. No, in the New Testament, sacrifice is the standard of giving. So let me just kind of now work out what it means to give sacrificially. Picture uh, three different levels or ways of giving. Okay, Here, here are the three. Just think about these buckets with me. You could give less than your ability. So God's entrusted you with things, and now you're giving less than your ability. You could easily give more, but you're giving less than your ability. Okay, this, this is where many people sort of live in their giving world, right? It's, it's giving less than your ability. Then here's the middle category. It's giving according to your ability. Okay, that's the middle category, according to your ability. So it's according to what the Lord has given you. And and then there's this category over here, this third category of giving beyond your ability, beyond your, your capacity. There's that third level of giving. And it's that third level of giving beyond your ability that is the uncharted water of sacrificial generosity. And friends, that is where Jesus is taking his people. He is leading us into the place of sacrificial generosity. Let me give you a picture of it. Back in 2 Corinthians 8, if you just go back one chapter, 
Uh, Paul is talking about the Macedonian churches. Now, let me just give you a heads up on these churches. Uh, they are eager givers, and they are in extreme poverty. Okay, that, that's the situation. It's not a, it's not a kind of middle-of-the-road poverty. They are on the most extreme levels of poverty. That's the Macedonian churches. And he's using the Macedonian churches as a model for the Corinthian church to, to give like them, Corinthian church. This, this is the model. This is what I want to urge you toward, Corinthian church. So, so here it is in verse 2 of 2 Corinthians 8. Talking about the Macedonian churches. For in a severe test of affliction, so they're suffering right? Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, not middle of the road poverty, but extreme poverty, all of that, their suffering and their poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, second category, as I can testify, and here's what they've done. They've given beyond their means. That third category, sacrificial generosity, and beyond their means of their own accord, suffering in extreme poverty. They were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Begging us earnestly, Paul says, to give like this. So Paul holds the Macedonian churches up as a model. Not because they gave according to their means, but because they gave beyond their ability, beyond their means. And that is what sacrificial generosity is. It is giving in a way that is beyond your ability. That's, that's the place Jesus wants to take his people. Following Jesus into generosity is saying, Jesus, yes, I will follow you even into that place. Let me give you an, another picture of sacrificial generosity. Let, let me use this imagery for it. Uh, you've probably known a person who's bought too much house for their income. Okay, think about that moment. So it's just too much house for your, your budget, that, that sort of a moment. Now, what happens when you do that? When a person buys too much house, here's what happens. Every other financial decision is now governed by their house decision. Do you see that? We, we know that sort of a situation. Now, let's think about what it means to be uh, sacrificial in our generosity. That is when it's not our house is too big for our budget. It's when our giving is too big for our budget. So that now when we make all of our other financial decisions, they are now governed by not our house decision, but our giving decision. That's what it means to walk with Jesus, to follow Jesus down into sacrificial generosity. That all of our giving decisions are now governed by, uh, our financial decisions are governed by our giving decisions. Sacrificial generosity is giving in such a way that it cuts into our life. It's risky giving. It's giving that, that actually requires faith in your life. It's giving that will actually change you because it's, it's, it's making you depend on Jesus, trust Jesus in new ways. Uh, it's Luke 21. It's an amazing picture in Luke 21. Uh, Jesus is watching people give. Now that should sober us all just to know that it's like Jesus knows our giving. Right? He knows uh, how open-handed versus close-handed we are. Jesus is watching people give, and he's watching people drop gifts into a, a, a bowl or a basket. And uh, none of those gifts are moving Jesus until a widow comes along. And this little widow, if you know the story, she gives her last two mites, her last two coins. The rest of everything that she had, she, she puts into the, the offering box. It's not a lot. But it's all she's got. And when Jesus sees it, he stops everything. 
He stops everything. He's like, I want to point this moment out. I want everyone to see this moment. Now, why does he do that? Well, it's not because she was giving below her ability or according to her ability, but because she was giving beyond her ability. And, and Jesus commends this little widow as a, as a person to follow, as an example to follow. Luke 21 is showing us that Jesus is not overly concerned with amounts or percentages in your life. What Jesus is concerned about is sacrifice. That is the New Testament standard of giving. And there's a big difference oftentimes between amounts and percentages and sacrifice, right? There's a big difference between these two. Sacrifice isn't determined by what you give, but by what's left after you give. That's how you know if you're getting down into the sacrificial sort of places Jesus wants us to go. So let's stop and ask the question before the Lord. Am I following Jesus here? Am I willing or am I allowing Jesus to take me deeper into generosity? And again, I know this is a moment where a lot of us just have all sorts of defensiveness that just arises in us. It sounds like cynicism. It can be a voice of fear in us. We just have a very complex defensive web that can come up in this area of our life. So I'm just asking you to get before the Lord and to ask him, am I, am I open to you in this area, Jesus? Am I willing to follow you down into these places of generosity, Jesus? Uh, when it comes to generosity, every one of us are on a journey in this room. None of us start like way down the road, like really, really, none of us start there. It's a very slow walk of us getting over time to a really generous place in our life. And in your booklet, if you look at page 14, there is something called the follow me journey in there. And I just want to walk through this with you really briefly and encourage you to actually spend some time in it this week, because this is giving us some of the waypoints on the journey of Jesus making us into a really generous person. And it's showing us what our next step of following Jesus might actually look like right now. So here's the, the sort of waypoints on the journey that I want to point out to you. It starts, uh, for most people, uh, by being an initial giver, right? This is the person who, for the first time, starts giving to Jesus. This is an amazing moment in a human life. It's the first time where we're like, you know what? My life isn't just about me. It's about you, Jesus, and other people. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show that in my generosity. It's that moment of initially giving. And we should celebrate this moment in people's life, in your life, if this is you. Uh, this last year, in 2023, uh, we as a church family had four, almost 500 people, 494 people take that first step to give initially at Stonegate. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. All of those people taking that first step toward Jesus. If that's you, we want to commend that. Man, kudos to you. Thank you for being open to Jesus and allowing him to walk you into that first step. So, so maybe this is your step to become an initial giver. Here's the second step is to become a consistent giver. This is the person who has started giving, but now is taking that next step to make it consistent. And this is where technology can be a great friend because we can go uh, online or the church center app and we can automate our giving just to help us be consistent in our giving. So maybe that's your next step is to become a consistent giver. And then there's step three to become an intentional giver, right? This is the person who is no longer just giving, but they are giving first in their life. It's the first thing they do in the month. It's going to have the place of primacy in their life. It's going to be the first thing they do with their finances. And this type of giver is typically reflected by those who are tithing. 
And for many people, a tithe, 10%, it's a great place to start. It, it may be the next step that Jesus has sort of worked you into or calling you into as you follow him in generosity. You could think of a tithe like training wheels. So if you think of the bike that we're riding as the bike of sacrifice, a tithe is like those training wheels just to help us get the feel on the bike. And that's a wonderful step that some of us may need to be taking in this next season of our life. It's an intentional giver. And then there's step four. It's a sacrificial giver. So a tithe, again, is like training wheels for the bike of sacrifice. But sacrifice, not, not a tithe, is where Jesus wants to take us. It's where, where he wants us to go. It's where following him is going to lead. It's to become a sacrificial giver. Uh, this is the person who has followed Jesus down into sacrifice. And this person is starting to ask a different set of questions with their giving. Uh, questions like, am I giving in a way that's actually changing me? Like, what is the governor, the financial governor in our life? Is it the things that I want, that's the financial governor? Or is it the way that we give, is that the financial governor in my life? What's in the driver's seat of our financial life? Am I giving not just first, kind of in the month, am I not just giving first, but am I giving my best to Jesus? Does my giving actually require me to exercise and to grow in faith? Is it actually doing those things to me? So, so maybe this is your next step, is to step into, God has you primed and ready to, to follow him into sacrificial generosity. And then that last step is what we would call a legacy giver. This is the type of person who's no longer asking God, what, what do you want me to give? But they're asking the other side of the question, God, what do you want me to keep now? What's the, the part that you want me to keep? They want to free up as much as they can to put everything they can into the purposes of Jesus in this world. So think of a sacrificial giver as a person who's making commitments that maybe they'll govern the next year of their life or two years of their life, that, that sort of a thing. A legacy giver is making long-term commitments and generosity that's going to govern the long-term lifetime part of their whole life. So now it's going to affect cars and it's going to affect uh, retirement accounts and it's going to affect all houses. It's going to affect all of those bigger long-term decisions in their life. During my junior summer in college, I had the opportunity to live with a family. And I've shared this story before, but it's so helpful in this moment. I learned so much from them. Uh, they were in their uh, kind of early to mid-70s, and God had entrusted him, uh, Bob, with a great job. Uh, right? He had just done really well financially. And I, I remember one night we'd stayed up, and we were uh, chatting about this, that, or the other, and it turned to money. And I asked him, I'm like, Bob, why, why is it that you're still working? Why, why are you doing that? And I never will uh, forget his response. He looked back at me and said, Here, here's the reason that I'm still working. There's really only one reason. It's so that I can be a ridiculous giver to the purposes of Jesus. That's why. And he worked for the next six or seven years so he could do that. And he did. He, he was just one of those guys who was a ridiculous giver to the purposes of Jesus in this world. And some of us just need to start to developing a vision of our life like that. That God has entrusted you these things so that you would be a conduit, so you would open up your hands and God would use these things to bless and build things in this world for him. So as you look at that follow me journey, here's your two questions. Where am I in that journey? Where would I place myself? And then what is it that would be my next step of generosity? What would God want next for me in generosity? That would be great for you to do within your family this week, within your community groups this week, is to, to think about that, to reflect on that with one another. So Christians give sacrificially. Here's the third thing that we see is Christians cannot outgive God. Look at verse 6. 
This is a summary statement. So he's given all this stuff on generosity. And then he says, and here's the point, Paul says. And then he switches to this gardening metaphor. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So those are your two options. Paul says, here's option one. We can hoard and hold on to what God has given us. In other words, we can spare sowingly or or, or sow sparingly. We can do that. And if we do that, then here's what's going to happen. We're going to reap sparingly. Or here's option two. We can open up our hands and we can give generously. That's sowing bountifully. And if we do that, Paul says, here's what's going to happen. We're going to reap bountifully. Right? This is Paul just encouraging the Corinthian church and, and through them us to give generously. To give sacrificially beyond what's comfortable. And, and to do that, to encourage them, Paul's saying, hey, let me just reassure you. You cannot outgive God. It's going to be impossible. You cannot do it. Do you believe that? Some days I do and some days I don't, right? It can be hard to believe that some days, isn't it? But this is what Paul wants us to believe here. It's what he's trying to convince us of, that you cannot outgive God. Paul is pastoring us here with that promise. You cannot outgive God. Now, let me be clear, uh, because this passage is often abused uh, by what I would call like a prosperity preacher. Uh, you sow a dollar, you get 10 tomorrow. That, that guy. Uh, That is not uh, the primary thing Paul is uh, pointing at here. That is not necessarily going to happen. They get half of it right, right? It's not the the, the straight line connection that Paul's making. Now, but here's what I would say. Some of you have that story of you giving and then the Lord doing some really wild things right on the other side of that. But that's not the straight line Paul is connecting. Here's the straight line. Here's what Paul wants you to leave convinced of after reading this text. Is that God will more than make up for whatever you give. That's his point. You cannot outgive God because God will more than make up for whatever you give. For some, that's going to be God showing up in some wild ways right now as you give. For others, that's going to be God showing up later in some wild ways and just ways that blow your mind as you step into eternity with him forever. But don't miss Paul's point. He's saying here, when all accounts are settled, no one's going to look at God and, and because of all of their generosity, look at God and say, God, you ripped me off. God, I got like the bad end of this deal. No one's going to say that. No one is going to say that. No, because those who sow bountifully will also reap bountifully. You are not going to get ripped off. You cannot outgive God. Here's the fourth thing, is that Christians give cheerfully. Not reluctantly, look at verse 7. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is not just after any type of obedience. He's after a certain type of obedience, a certain type. And that certain type is not a begrudging obedience, but a glad-hearted obedience. This is why Paul says to give, not reluctantly, but cheerfully. Now, why would we give cheerfully? Gosh, there's so many reasons. It glorifies God. That's why we give cheerfully. It makes God look awesome in this world. It is good for you. That's why we give. We Do we believe Jesus' words when Paul quotes them in Acts chapter 20, verse 35? It is more blessed to give than receive. Do you believe that? It's more blessed to give than receive. According to Jesus, the good life really is the generous life. Like the good life, like the, the you of you flourishing and being all that God wants you to be, your heart being fully awake to this world, that the good life really is the generous life. When Jesus is asking you to follow him into the the depths of generosity, it's not because he wants something from you. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Amen? 
It's not that God needs something from you. God is not asking you to follow him because he wants something from you. He's asking you to follow him because he knows on the other side of this, there's good for you. He he wants something for you. That's the reason that he's asking you to follow him down into generosity. It is good for you, friend. That's why. And it's good for God's mission. God's mission requires money. Uh, Think about the book of Romans for a moment. Here's one way to think about what Romans is. 16 chapters, what Romans is. It's a support letter from Paul. You've got 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and Paul is urging them in this letter to give generously to God's mission because God's mission requires money. And God designed it that way. He made it that way. He made it to where the the mission to go forward is going to require money from his people, and God would have it no other way. And here's why, because God knows your heart is going to follow your money. Right? The, the way you spend, the way you save, the way you give shapes your affections. Right? This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, where Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If you put a bunch of money in the stock market right now, do you know what you'd be doing tomorrow? You'd be having your phone out, checking that stock market like 38 times tomorrow. Right? Why? Because your heart is pulled toward where your money is. And in the same way, if you give generously to the purposes of Jesus in this world, do you know what your heart starts to do? Care about them. Love them. Be concerned about them. Be interested in them. So so we give because it glorifies God, because it's good for you. And we're glad-hearted in our giving because it's good for God's mission. Now, let me just answer this question really briefly. What if today we're sitting here and we're like, but there ain't no way I'm giving cheerfully. Not going to happen today. I just, I can't get to the cheerful part of it. What, What do we do in that moment? Well, let me give you this encouragement. Here are the two things that you do. Number one. First, you repent. You come to God saying to God, I I know that my heart should be cheerful in my generosity. I want it to be cheerful, but it's not, oh God. So would you help me? God, would you help me? God, I'm confessing that that I'm I'm begrudging in it. So, So God, help me. We repent. And then we give, asking Jesus to give us gladness. That, that's what we do in any area of our, our life where the right emotion is not associated with the act of obedience. We repent of not having the right emotion, and then we do the thing asking for Jesus to give us the right emotion. So a lack of gladness should not stop us from giving. A lack of gladness should lead us to Jesus as we give, asking Jesus to give us the right gladness. Right? That, that's how we approach these moments. Christians give cheerfully. And then lastly, and we'll finish here. Christians give in light of God's promises. Look at verse 8. This is an amazing promise. Paul says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you. This is in the context of generosity. He's going to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, here's what you're going to be able to do, church. You may abound in every good work. That's a promise we should memorize right there. Here's where generosity often gets jammed up for us. We oftentimes think like this, I have just a little bitty pile of grace and my job is now to protect that grace because if I let something happen to that grace, what's going to happen to me? It's going to all be gone. I've just just got a little stockpile of this so I can't give too much of it. I've got to protect it. I've got to hoard it. I've got to make sure I keep it right here because if it goes away, there's going to be none left. It's a way of seeing the world through scarcity. That I've just got a little bit, so let me hoard the little bit that I've got because if I lose this, I'm going to lose everything. It's it's that way of seeing the world. And you can test your own heart. Is that the way you see money and possessions in your life? 
the grace of God in your life. Because Paul's saying that's not how God operates with his sons and daughters. Here's how God treats and operates with his sons and daughters. God gives you grace. That grace opens up our heart and, and we give that away. And then this amazing thing happens. God gives more grace. And, and then we, we give more of that grace away. And then God gives even more grace and we give even more away. Then he gives even more than that and we give even more than that away. That, friends, is the life Jesus is inviting you into. It's not one of scarcity. It's one of abundance where Jesus is saying, hey, I've got plenty of grace for you. You just have to open up your hands and then I will give you more. This is the picture of life with God. Paul is saying, as you keep giving, friend, God will keep resupplying. He will keep restocking the grace that you need in your life. Maybe you could picture it this way. Uh, think of God's grace as a deeply dug well. And down at the bottom of that well, grace is just I mean, it is flowing down there. There's a lot of grace down there. And in every moment of giving, it's like we're, we're pushing the pump in every moment of giving. So that now in every moment of giving, here's what we're receiving, more grace from God. More of the grace that sustains us in our generosity, that enables our generosity, and that blesses us in our generosity. So church, can we follow Jesus here? I'm going there. I'd love to have you with me. Can we follow Jesus here? Will you bow your head? I want to give you just a moment to, to hear from the Lord. Maybe you could say this morning to Jesus, Jesus, I know I don't own anything. I know you're the owner of it all. And God, I know that I'm the steward. So God, help me be a, a faithful steward. Did you say that to the Lord this morning? God, help me be faithful. God, help, help my heart open up to you in this area. I know for many of us, this is a hard area to follow Jesus in. I know that. And Jesus is so committed to walking beside you step by step by step. Go with God, friend. Listen to his voice. Follow him. God, would you help us do that this morning? God, where our defenses come up, that complicated web of things that have a way of keeping your voice out of our life. God, would you love us through that defensive web? And God, would you make our church family generous, big-hearted? God, would you do that? And it's in the good name of Jesus we ask it. Amen.